Time now for sports on 104.7 The Cave. Here's Ned Reynolds. Ned Reynolds, Mike the Intern, back in the studio, halfway point of the week. We're at the All-Star break. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Home Run Derby, but I thought Pujols getting in beyond the first round was that was pretty that was pretty awesome. We watched that from uh, Dallas International Airport at the Cantina Laredo, drinking margaritas and cheering on Albert. I was drinking uh, grapefruit juice, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but that was really cool. And then, of course, last night we had the All-Star Game. Well, both of them, both the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game, are really morphing into made-for-TV events. But I thought last night's game was pretty good. They played well. There was good defense in it, some very good pitching, especially by the American League that held the National League hitless for the uh, final seven innings of the game. That was that was pretty good. Of course, that's going to happen in a one-game all-star set because you're getting the very best pitchers. But the stage was set by that double play that uh, Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox and Andres Jimenez of the Cleveland Guardians turned in to get Manny Machado on a double play. That was a big-time defensive play. Miking the players, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about that. Most of the players were very agreeable, and they had some pretty good dialogue about them. But I'm not really a big fan of that, and I know that Clayton Kershaw isn't. He was very quick with his interview before starting the game. The thing that bothered me the most, Mike, about the game was the fact that I do not like everybody looking the same in this game. They're all wearing the same uniforms. And the National League had the gold. Uh, yeah. It's, it's Their teams are on there, but it, it's all in gold. It isn't the same. Same with the American League. All the same uniforms. Their insignias are there, but that's it. No, that's not the way the All-Star game, in my opinion, should be played. Put your home and road uniforms on for the visiting team. American League was visitors. Let's see the road uniforms. You never see them uh, ordinarily. But uh, no, that's not the case, and you don't see the National League. It, it just was not right, in my opinion. As far as the game is concerned, pretty good game. Giancarlo Stanton with a monstrous home run. He turns out to be the most valuable player. So from that standpoint, it was, uh, I think, probably an acceptable baseball game uh, for an all-star game, that is. But I wish they'd I wish they'd modify things. You mentioned the home run derby, and Juan Soto won it. He said he was going to win it, and he did. Uh, but Albert being in there, here's, here's the deal that I, I wonder a little bit about. Not being a professional athlete, I don't know how they're affected. Obviously, they are in great shape. But when you come to this home run derby, that's an altogether different rhythm that they're in. It's swing after swing after swing. Oh, Albert got gassed out. You could he see. He was tired. Oh, especially during that one-minute bonus in that first round. You could see it because he, he popped off probably five real quick. And then you could see him going, oh, and I, I could see it. I've been to batting cages this is a million in, times. This is in rapid motion, and yeah, that's yeah. not the way you take batting yeah. practice ordinarily. It's not that quick. And you're not hitting home runs. You're not trying for home runs. In, uh, in Albert's case, I hope that didn't have any detrimental effect on him. I had a guy send me a, a text. He said, boy, he looks more like he's 60 than he does 42 because he was uh, slowing up considerably. And so were the others. It affects the rhythm a little bit. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of this, but it is what it is, and it is on television, and the fans do like it. It is part of the All-Star Week, and hey, more power to them. Yeah, well, they uh, seem to be taking another page out of the NFL book and making it as fancy as they possibly That's can. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, speaking of being fancy, it looks like, uh, as far as our professional Missouri teams, the Royals are probably going to be uh, 
possibly getting rid of some people because it doesn't really matter for them, at least this season. The St. Louis Cardinals can do uh, very well if they could get some pitching help, that's for sure. They do need pitching. There's no question about the fact that the Cardinals are searching for one more, at least one more, starting pitcher, somebody who's going to help them, not somebody to just throw into the mix for one year, a, a loner player. But over and above that, I don't know whether or not there's anybody really available who's not going to cost the Cardinals an awful lot. You don't want to spend your... You don't want to mortgage your future on something that is an if, and, and maybe. And that's what it is with the Cardinals. It's if, and, and maybe. And the National League Central Division is very weak. It's either going to be the Brewers or the Cardinals. And I was telling an individual last night that it may be only one from that division. They may not have a wild card team. The record has to be pretty good to get yeah, in there. Yeah, it's not great. It's going to be very problematic, to say the least. Well, do the Cardinals make a deal? I think they will. I hope they don't spend an awful lot of talent to get that deal, but they do have to get one. As far as the Royals are concerned, I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew Benintende is gone and maybe Whit Merrifield. These are guys who could be serviceable to another ball club. Zach Greinke, who's had a very good year for a 39-year-old uh, pitcher, he could he could step in and fill the role for somebody. There are just so many possibilities. The trade deadline is still about a week and a half away, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a lot of action. Training camp for the Kansas City Chiefs is coming up quick. Equipment managers are already there, making sure everything's ready for the team when they start showing up. But we had the whole deal with Orlando Brown Jr. earlier this week, or I guess late last week as far as uh, Friday with the uh, franchise tag. Team offered him a pretty good amount of money, said no. And I don't know if it was because six years wasn't long enough, uh, the amount of money... But I thought, at least from my perspective, it was a pretty nice deal. It was him. a great deal. And uh, you might remember that a week ago this Thursday that Mitch, of course, doing the Chiefs rally for us, said, well, that, that 3 o'clock tomorrow, that's a big time. We'll sign him and then everything will be fine. <laughs> Mitch was thinking optimistically because Orlando Brown did not sign up. What does that mean? Well, the Chiefs, number one, offered him around $19.5 million a year, probably for about four years. Now, this guy's a big offensive lineman. He wants $25 million a year. And the Chiefs, according to the reports that have been filtering in, said, is he worth that? That's the highest amount of money for any offensive lineman. Is he that good? No, no we can't come to an agreement that he is that no. good. So they, they said, okay, that's our offer. Orlando Brown said, nope. So what does it mean? Well, it means that Orlando Brown can only play for one team this year since he is the franchise player, and that's the Chiefs. He can only play for the Chiefs unless they trade him. But the chances of that are just about nil because under the NFL rules, if the Chiefs trade their franchise player, the other team to whom they trade him is mandated. They must give up two number one draft picks. And that ain't going to happen. No, not for it. You think the money is too much. The two number one picks is way too much. So what will happen is that uh, I suspect he'll probably miss a couple of weeks of training camp. Who wants to go up to St. Joseph when it's this hot? 
and uh, they'll let him come back. He may miss the first game, maybe the second game, but eventually he will play because he's going to get $16.5 million Yeah, he's going to lose money if he doesn't. And uh, and I think next year, well, at the end of the season, he'll declare himself a free agent, and I don't know what the Chiefs get out of that, but it won't be very much. Well, you know, Danon and Mitch had a really good insight as far as the whole player-manager-agent situation, and, and Danon said, said it best because from a player's perspective, he's like, you know, as a kid, when you're playing college sports, you're – you're getting like what 10 bucks a day to eat on you you're not making anything and then you trust someone to get you a deal and all of a sudden this guy is responsible for literally making you a millionaire overnight so all of these players they give that to their agents and they trust them and that's the thing is that some players step up and say look i don't care i want to be with this team i want to make it work and then some other players say do what you must to get me paid well mitch is right that that was the case now it's changed a little bit with this nil coming in here because the uh, the players can opt for some pretty big deals but not what he's uh, looking for not anywhere near that no well uh we'll see what happens uh but Overall, I think the team is looking pretty damn good going into uh, St. Joe. In bed. And hopefully in bed. they bring enough Gatorade up there, man. I can't even – oh, my God, it's going to be brutal. You, you've you been to training camp many times up there. That hill, you know, on the backside, it, right right on the field when that sun's coming down on you, oh, my goodness gracious. I, I, I must admit to you, I have not been to St. Joe, but I was at Liberty many times, mm-hmm. many times with the Chiefs, and that was always fun. Because the players are on the relaxed side. Of course, back then, when they were at Liberty, that was the older level of the Chiefs, too. That wasn't today's nah. particular genre. Back then, you can get on the field and probably play catch with them if you wanted I, I to. Did. <laughs> <laughs> and Ned got tackled a few times. All right, so everyone's got their opinion on the Live Tour and the PGA drama, including a former president. <laughs> yes, the former president is uh, the Honorable... Mr. Donald Trump, he came out with some comments yesterday, and now the casual fan is saying, what on earth does he have to do with any of this? What he did was he advised the PGA players, hey, pack your bags, go with this live tour, take that money, have a big time and all that, because eventually there's going to be a merger. I do agree with him. I do think there will be a merger. I think that's what will settle it, but when it comes, who knows? But what is Donald Trump doing advising golfers to go to a rival tour. Aha, a hidden agenda. Because Donald Trump and the PGA ain't exactly friends, folks, and here's why. Back in 2014 or 2015, I'm not sure what the year was, Trump and the PGA signed a contract. And the contract was for the PGA National Tournament, one of the majors that they have, to be held at his Bedminster, New Jersey golf course, which is where the Live Tour will be next weekend. And uh, it was, would have been this year. It was 2022 when the event was to be held. And it was, it was all set. So along comes January 6th of this year, earlier. And you know what happened, folks. They had the riots in Washington, D.C. The next day, the PGA got together and said, Oh, my God, we've got the PGA National at Bedminster. What kind of publicity is that going to be for us? We've got a, the, the, the taint is too great. We have to move it. So they voted unanimously to move it to Tulsa, Oklahoma and Southern Hills, which is where it was played. That didn't sit very well with Mr. Trump at all, who came right out and said, you have a binding contract with us, so forth and so on. You pay us off or at, now I must admit, I don't know what the final resolution was, if any, but they moved it out of there. And that has not registered very well with Mr. Trump at all, who said, don't let the PGA fool you. They're crooked. 
They, they're as corrupt as any organization. He really let them have it yesterday. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure he did. <laughs> but a hidden agenda, that's why. Oh, for sure. Well, thanks for uh, being giving us a peek behind the uh, curtain there, Ned. Uh, so we do, obviously, it's that time of year where we're getting closer and closer to our own pro golf tournament here in town. When's that happen? It, it tees off tomorrow, tomorrow morning. And fortunately for the early players, it'll tee off probably about 7 o'clock. They'll get the opportunity to play when it might be just a little bit cooler because that weather forecast is uh, rather dire for the four days of that tournament, which does conclude late Sunday afternoon. Boy, if late Sunday afternoon on that uh, 72nd hole when they're making all the presentations and that sun is beaming down about 3 in the afternoon. Brutal, man. That'll be on the warm side. Anyway, the competition does begin. should be a pretty good field of golfers who are competing. And keep in mind, folks, these players on the Corn Ferry Tour are not even a half a step. They're a quarter of a step away from making the big tour, the PGA. And you see them, the players who are on that PGA Tour now, and, and some on the Live Tour, are all graduates of uh, the Corn Ferry, or many of them are, and uh, have done very well. Cam Smith, the individual who uh, won the British Open, He'd, he was not a, a corn furry guy because he's been playing pro golf for quite a while. But uh, Zalatoris and some of these others, they all played here. And they all played at uh, Highland Springs. And that's a way of identifying who they are and what they are and how good they are going to be. Well, that's always a great thing for the area. But if you are going out to watch some golf, make sure and bring at least <laughs> five gallons of water with you. Ned, have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow.